0: Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here, and we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent, and yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. Today, my guest is one of my very, very dear friends. So this is one of those special opportunities for me. My friend, David Levitas. we have known each other for more decades than I'd like to acknowledge and literally went to both high school and college to almost together. He's older than I am, so, you know. Just a year. (laughs) And have remained friends over the years. And have had fascinating conversations about lots of things. David is also the parent of a complex kid. And uh, so he understands our world personally, intimately, now complex young adult. And yeah, their family is in the middle, if you were sharing with me, of, of working on getting a service dog. So, you know, maybe that'll come up. Maybe it won't. But I wanted to invite him to join me for a conversation because we had a fascinating conversation over Thanksgiving break about problem-solving and decision-making and the different ways that people problem-solve. And he had this really interesting perspective on, we were specifically talking about different majors in college and different disciplines in in the work environment. And what you were saying to me, David, is that those are just different vehicles. Every discipline is a different vehicle for problem-solving. And I thought, given that we in this complex world are constantly looking at how do we help our kids navigate their brains to find the most effective way to problem solve, that this would be a super conversation. So welcome to the podcast. Why don't you tell everybody first just a little bit about what you've done professionally, because you don't actually work in this arena directly, and how you came to this understanding that you have.
1: Sure. Uh, I'm a marketer. I worked in ad agencies for most of my career. Most of that has been within healthcare, a lot of pharmaceutical marketing, health insurance, uh, healthcare delivery kind of clients, things like that, but also a lot of financial services and packaged goods and technology and other. And my role within the agency was to uncover the insights into how people think and feel and act about whatever product category we were talking about in order for us to engage with them, whether we were trying to sell them a product or get them involved in a program or disease management program or whatever. And one of the.
0: Can I just slow that down really quickly? Because just that your job, and this is a professional career, (laughs) y'all, has been to pay attention to how people think, feel and act and to speak to them based on learning and understanding how they think, feel, and act. Does that capture it?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because the tendency for marketers, as well as just regular people, and moms and dads, is always to think that the other person's emotion doesn't really matter. They're already thinking the way we're thinking and I've got this great product and of course people would want it because it's great. And the core of my discipline is to... Uh, Rather than start with the decision that the marketer wants the consumer to make, to turn it over and think, what does the consumer want? Why are they uh, interested in this product? Do they know they have a problem? Do they want to solve that problem? And really try to understand what the lived experience of the consumer is so that we can talk to them and engage with them in an appropriate way. And my- so I'm going
0: to interrupt one, mm-hmm. one second. And the reason that I thought this would be such a valuable conversation is because what you've been doing in your entire professional career is exactly what we are trying to help parents learn to do, which is to shift the conversation from what do I want my kid to do to what's in it for them, what's going on with them, how are they thinking and feeling in order to inform how they act. So keep going.
1: Exactly. (laughs) I wanna just keep
0: making the linkages here.
1: Yeah, thank you. You know, talking about my daughter's service dog who is a seven month old uh, golden doodle who we just visited in Tennessee where she's being trained. But my daughter who's always loved dogs had talked about getting a service dog for a number of years. And the point at which I finally said, "Okay, yeah, we're going to go and do that for you was when she turned to me one day and said, I want to get a service dog so that I can be more independent. (laughs) And that was the point at which I went. Okay, you're ready for a dog because it wasn't about just having a dog. It wasn't about having something to hug. It wasn't about, you know, a possession. It was about advancing her own life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a really sort of seminal moment for me because. she had always said that she felt young for her age; that she she didn't feel as old as she was chronologically, and, which is
0: true, right? Which is true for most of the people listening. Our kids have are developmentally in a different place than they tend
1: to be chronologically, right? Exactly. And she coupled that with saying that you know she didn't really want to grow up, mm-hmm. and when That's she so yes, right. and when we. I think finally got her into the best environment for her where she is now and got her working with a therapist who really gets her. She started making progress much more quickly because she really wanted to make Mm -hmm. the progress. And it was, you know, when she went from, I'm afraid of having to be independent to know I want to be independent it meant that she saw the value of it she saw the benefits mm-hmm. and that she was you know developing the kinds of desires that you want to see any kid develop you know where they want something for themselves for their own reasons not because we tell them to
0: and that if i if we can just articulate it didn't happen when she was eight or ten or twelve. Yeah. Right. This is something that to get to that point of really self agency, like that, takes a certain amount of frontal lobe. And that's not fully cooked till our kids are into their 20s. It's still, you know, they have to get past 16 before they even get to a point where they've got, like, I think 60%.
1: Right. And I always repeat what you said to me a number of years ago that, you know, we found that neuro non-typical kids, their brains keep developing until they're 30. And with with Madeline, my daughter, you know, she has, after 21, made so much more progress than she made in the previous, you know, five years and just really rapidly making progress and reaching new milestones that is just, it's so heartwarming for me as a parent to see her enjoying life more and finding new meaning. She started working and really loves being at work and loves making money and loves the responsibility that they're, you know, they're giving her at work. And it is, it's wonderful to see her wanting to do it not because we're telling her you need to do these things.
0: Right. So let's map this into a conversation about about problem solving and decision making. Uh-huh. Right? What was important for you to understand to enroll her in this way and to like give her the space to get to this point instead of trying to force it before she was ready.
1: I think the main thing that I've learned from interviewing hundreds of consumers and patients over the years and you know, dozens of doctors and nurses and, you know, and health other kinds of healthcare providers is that when it comes to making change in any part of your life, you've got to have your own reason for wanting to do it. If you can't be told you've got diabetes, you need to eat this diet, you know, you can't be told, you know, you've got to lose X pounds or else or you've got to quit smoking or you've got to stop drinking or, you know, any of these other changes. Making change is something that you have to have your own reason for wanting that outcome. And just being told you have to do something, whether it's, you know, you have to have to grow up or you have to, you know, stop being so impulsive or you have to be, you know, whatever it might be. If you don't yourself see the benefit of that and see the reason why you want to do that, the odds of successful behavior change are just Astronomically low. I mean, this is one thing I've seen. I've worked in a number of addiction categories that I see over and over again in addiction. And not every, even everyone in the addiction world gets is Mm -hmm. that just telling somebody, you know, that a behavior is destructive, whether it's a, a sex addiction or gambling addiction or alcoholism or whatever, you know, nobody stops because other people think they should.
0: Or because it's good for me. Right. Like we all know we're not supposed to smoke, but that doesn't stop people from smoking or starting smoking even.
1: Right. Right. And, you know, one of the story that I tell over and over again is I'm one of those people who took forever to quit smoking because I would quit very easily. And then six months later, I'd think, gee, I don't want a cigarette. Maybe I'll have one. And you know, then two weeks later, I'd have another one. And you know, before you know it, I was smoking again. Yeah. And the thing that finally stopped me smoking is I realized I was sick to death of quitting smoking because the <laughs> hardest part for me was the from the decision that I'm gonna quit till the Friday when I'm gonna have my last cigarette was just torture for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I got to that Friday and put on the patch and everything, it was fine. But that week, you know, leading up to it was so horrific emotionally, I thought, I never want to go through that again. And that's the thing that has kept me from ever wanting to do it again, because I know that I'm going to hate that.
0: Yeah, for me, it was the smell. I just couldn't live with the smell anymore. And somebody went yeah. to kiss my hand and went, ooh, and I thought, <laughs> I don't ever want that again. And it was it was yeah. motivation enough. But it, it changed when I decided. And that's really what you're saying, is that that first we set an intention, we make a decision, we have our own motivation, before we then figure out how to make that change happen or for that change right. to be effective.
1: Right. And the way that... I've always worked professionally in order to help my clients sort of understand the disease state they're working with is that when I talk to patients, I'm not asking them what they know about what they should be doing. I'm asking them how they feel. I'm asking them, you know, why they do things the way they do them. I'm asking them, you know, how it affects them when they do things in certain ways and, you know, how they think about things. And, you know, I think the same is true for any kid, neurotypical or not, when you're trying to help them make a decision, whether it's where to go to college or, you know, what to do for a living or where they want to live, or, you know, you can't impose your own frameworks. Of, well, I think you should live in a Big city. You have to say to them and ask them, you know, how do you want to be? What attracts you about this versus that? And really listen for the really personal things they tell you and then Mm -hmm. follow through on them. Um, one of the things that we talk about in research is the five whys. And the theory is that if you ask someone a question and ask them why they gave that answer and keep asking them why they gave each answer within five whys, you'll get down to the real reason.
0: Well, and it's really funny you say that because one of the things I teach parents is not to ask the question why. Mm-hmm. Because very often with kids, if because we're not asking, why because we're curious we're asking why because we're accusatory right exactly why did you do that is just going to get a defense reaction but when you ask it from a curious place i think you get a different response
1: right and it's not the why did you do that it's the what about that do you like Mm -hmm. What about that makes you feel good? Why does that feel good? You know, I know you like that, but can you tell me what about it makes you feel good? Is it Mm -hmm. that when you do that, I'm noticing you? Or is Mm -hmm. it that, uh, you know, when you do that, it lets you release something? I mean, when my daughter has her anxiety, sometimes she needs to like physically shake it out. Mm -hmm. and the first time she did that I was like oh my god are you all right (laughs) and she was you know at that point articulate enough to say no no again nothing's wrong I just need to do this it helps me let go of the anxiety Mm -hmm. and it's you know understanding things from the individual's point of view Mm -hmm. that really helps you get to the place where you can help them. And, you know, going back to the thing about problem-solving methodologies, um, one of the things that my son is a science student and is, you know, very analytical and, and very scientifically oriented. And he approaches things, you know, like a biology student would. You know, he's, he's looking for underlying hidden, you know, operators and processes that are going on that he might not be aware of. Whereas, you know, people who are trained as engineers, you know, approach problems in, in other ways. And I think the thing that I discovered about myself only once I started working, and I didn't really realize this in college or as I was thinking about a career, is that the way that the problem solving methodology that works best for me is starting with the people itself rather than the problem Mm -hmm. and trying to understand where the Thing I'm trying to solve fits into their lives and what their experience with it has been in the past and what their, you know, their objectives are. And it's, I've found that, you know, using the lens of the individual really helps me tease apart a problem that was probably mm-hmm. really confusing i don't think
0: no that. i think it makes sense but let's let's apply it for a minute cuz part of the conversation we were visiting with my son who's taken a bunch of different art over the years. He's a studio art major. He's, he's majoring in studio art and the history of ideas. And I was teasing him about it maybe not being so practical. And you actually took a different lens to it. And you said, well, he's done music, he's done theater, he's done studio art, he's done, you know, and you started looking at all the things he's done and introduced this notion that what he's learned is a whole bunch of different ways to problem solve. And that it was a big light bulb for me. And I think when you bring it back, what you're saying is that when we look at how people, what's interesting to them, we're going to find different ways for problem solving. So speak to that a little bit, because you can say it better than I did.
1: (laughs) So we were talking to your son about, you know, work and what he might want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And You know, I've worked across so many different industries and I've worked, you know, within marketing organizations and on, you know, uh, company structure and, and operations and all solved all sorts of different problems for my client companies. And the what I was, I think, trying to tell Josh was that the best problem solvers are the people who have a lot of different ways of solving a problem. That when someone, you know, thinks that, you know, the old saying, if, if all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. That when you are, that many people, when they are confronted by a problem, look for a solution without thinking about how to get to a solution. Mm-hmm. They just think, you know, here's the problem do i know the what's answer the solution what's the so- right exactly and if they know something awesome i got a solution and if they don't they yeah. don't really necessarily think about how to get to one right and the key to really good problem solving and the things that you know we've done for years on the uh, and ad agencies is give clients lots of different tools and ways to approach the same problem. When I, I worked years ago for a guy named Bill Mulligan, who is one of my favorite bosses ever, and he said to me once, the thing I like about working with you is when I give you a problem, you say, okay, well, what about this solution? And if I say, no, I don't like that, when you say, okay, well, if we look at it from this perspective, what about this solution? And then you keep walking around the same problem from all different perspectives until we get something to something that works. Mm -hmm. And when you think about problem solving, again, whether it's, you know, what your kid's going to do for a living or where they're going to live, there's more than one way to look at any problem. You can start at it from a perspective of, okay, you know, if we're talking about where you want to live, you know. We can talk about where could you be that is near other people that you would want to be near, or we could talk about it, or what are the places that have the kind of weather that you'd like to be in, or what are the places that have the uh, kinds of industries that you want to work Mm -hmm. in. And so even for as simple a problem as, you know, where do I want to live? To which most of us will go, gee, I don't know. You know, there are lots of lenses you can put on it that will start helping you get to the problem. But you've got to be able to think horizontally to what are the different criteria by which I might make this decision.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I love that. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, totally. And one of the things that you talked about that I think is so interesting is this notion that different disciplines introduce different ways to solve problems. You know, in our world, the coach approach is about a process for problem solving, because I'm not trying to give anybody the solution. I'm trying to give you a process that you can go through to do exactly what you're saying, which is look at any different, any given problem from different areas, different perspectives, and learn how to problem solve. And what you were saying was that when you look at what kids are taking in in school, particularly at the university level, every discipline is a different way of problem solving. So if you look at it from a history perspective, you're going to have a different way of problem solving than if you look at it from a chemistry perspective or an anthropology perspective or, you know, et cetera, or from the arts And that's, I think, a new way to think about helping our kids find their interests and their strengths.
1: Right. And it's also a question of, you know, do you fundamentally believe that every problem only has one best answer? Right. And which is something that, you know, we as parents tend to do because we want our kids to have the same life that we had. And so you are oriented towards how do I get them to the same solution I would have made at this point or I made back then. And I think one of the most important things I've learned about problem solving over the years is that if you just try to get to a solution and then decide whether it's right or not, you tend to get stuck on the first thing you come up with whereas if you focus instead on generating a lot of answers Mm -hmm. and then weed them out and find out which ones fit best then it's a lot easier to think creatively because you're not getting locked into there's only one way to answer this question
0: Right. Well, and I think and we need to start wrapping up this conversation, but I think what that triggers for me is so often parents get frustrated because they ask their kids a question and the kid says, I don't know. And then the parent gets frustrated because they hit the I don't know. And I always say, I don't know is an opportunity. But part of what's probably happening is that if your kid thinks that you're expecting a single answer to that question, if you're asking a question that they think you want them to have the answer, That's part of where the idea, I don't know, comes from.
1: Exactly. And it it really empowers people when you help them think. And rather than giving them the idea, you say, well, what if we look at it this way? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're thinking about what you want to do, we could think about, you know, it in terms of what kind of schedule do you want? There's some things that are nine to five and that's it. And there are other things that, you know, are 24 hours a day. How do you like to work? You know, what would be more important to you? And you don't necessarily have to be, you know, have tons of experience out in the world to start thinking about things like this. So, you know, I think the main, my main thought is when it comes to parenting is that I don't want to just ask them a question and see what they think. I want to help them explore how they might think about it and help them with my greater experience, think of different ways to think about the subject so that they can get to the solution that's right for them, because they might get stuck on the first thing they think of as well.
0: I love that. So we need to wrap this conversation up. I'm sad, but I'm, I loved it. And I, I'm really, really grateful to bring this. And cause I really, really just want to invite people to think about problem solving from a different perspective.
1: And so this was a great
0: way to do that. Any resources you want to direct people to that you think might be helpful for them other than an impact? impact.
1: Other than my friend Elaine. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a great book that I love called Stumbling on Happiness. Uh, That that is by Dan, I'm blanking his last name. He's a psychology professor at Harvard. I don't Um, know,
0: but I can tell you it's already in our reading carousel. So we will put the link in the chat.
1: That's an amazing book. If you read blank, this deals with a lot of the original studies that blank just talked a little bit about, and it goes much more deeply into how emotion drives decision making and how the various parts of the brain work. And it's a great, really easy to read sort of primer on how we don't really think the way we think we do.
0: Right. Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell.
1: Thank you. She, yes. Right. Right. So that is a great book uh, for... And again,
0: we'll put all of these in the reading carousel to make it easy for y'all and give you the
1: links. Yeah, it's a great book for understanding why people think in the complicated ways they do and how it helps understand how other people are thinking.
0: I love that. Thank you. All right, so as we wrap this up, anything else you want to make sure that our listeners get from today or wrap up or
1: something? I think the biggest thing that, you know, I learned from my career of interviewing people is you have to listen well. Mm -hmm. And when you hear someone say something that you didn't expect, you don't ignore it. You follow it up and say, really, how come? Why? Mm -hmm. What makes you feel that way? Because that's where the, important stuff is. I've never, never done a research study where the most important thing we found was something we didn't even know to look for, you know, because when you think you understand the whole topic, you don't, there's always something going on that you don't know. And it's listening, especially with your kids, listening to, for those reactions that are different than yours and exploring them and saying, you know, help me understand that, why you feel that way. Or, you know, what do you mean by that? Because those are the places where you learn something about your kid that you didn't even know you were missing.
0: Well, and you know, in our lens, what I would say is that's the difference between interrogation and curiosity. Hmm. What you're saying is get really genuinely authentically curious rather than drilling them for information. Right. Big difference. Yeah. Very big difference. So, you know, I mentioned to you that we would, I would ask you this. Do you have a favorite quote or motto that's coming up that you think might be relevant to today's
1: conversation? Oh boy, something's on the tip of my tongue and I'm sure it's a, um, it's probably a, either a quote from Mark Twain or Churchill, one of the two, because all the good ones seem to be, no, I'm liking it. If I think of it, I'll email you.
0: Okay. And we'll put it in the, in the show notes when you do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Super. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for being here for the fascinating work you've done in the world. You know, one of the jobs you took, I remember a number of years ago, you called me and you said, I'm going to fix healthcare." And I thought, what a great thing to want to do. And while there may still be a little bit of room left for improvement, um, you know, to take the work that you do and apply it in ways that, that matter for people's lives, is really powerful. So I really honor you for that. It was
1: great Um, talking to you.
0: You as well and always. And to those of you tuning in, thank you for what you're doing for yourselves and for your kids. It makes a huge difference. Take care, everybody. See you on the next one. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com sanityschool Sanity School.